Chapter 13 of Sentimental Education. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Sentimental Education by Gustave Flaubert. Chapter 13, Part 1. Rosanette as a Lovely Turk. His return to Paris gave him no pleasure. It was an evening at the close of August. The boulevards seemed empty. The passers-by succeeded each other with scowling faces. Here and there a boiler of asphalt was smoking. Several houses had their blinds entirely drawn. He made his way to his own residence in the city. He found the hangings covered with dust, and, while dining all alone, Frederick was seized with a strange feeling of forlornness. Then his thoughts reverted to Mademoiselle Roque. The idea of being married no longer appeared to him preposterous. They might travel, they might go to Italy, to the east, and he saw her standing on a hillock, or gazing at a landscape, or else leaning on his arm in a Florentine gallery, while she stood to look at the pictures. What a pleasure it would be to him merely to watch this good little creature expanding under the splendors of art and nature. When she had got free from the commonplace atmosphere in which she had lived, she would in a little while become a charming companion. Monsieur Roque's wealth, moreover, tempted him, and yet he shrank from taking this step, regarding it as a weakness, a degradation. But he was firmly resolved, whatever he might do, on changing his mode of life, that is to say, to lose his heart no more in fruitless passions, and he even hesitated about executing the commission with which he had been entrusted by Louise. This was to buy for her at Jack Arnaud's establishment two large-sized statues of many colors representing negroes, like those which were at the prefecture at Troyes. She knew the manufacturer's number and would not have any other. Frederick was afraid that if he went back to their house he might once again fall a victim to his old passion. These reflections occupied his mind during the entire evening, and he was just about to go to bed when a woman presented herself. "'Tis I,' said Mademoiselle Vatnaz with a laugh. "'I have come on behalf of Rosinette.' "'So then they were reconciled?' "'Good heavens, yes! I am not ill-natured, as you are well aware, and besides, the poor girl, it would take too long to tell you all about it.' In short, the Marechal wanted to see him. She was waiting for an answer, her letter having travelled from Paris to Nogent. Mademoiselle Vatnaz did not know what was in it. Then Frederick asked her how the Marechal was going on. He was informed that she was now with a very rich man, a Russian, Prince Tzernikov, who had seen her at the races in the Champ de Mars last summer. He has three carriages, a saddle-horse, livery servants, a groom got up in the English fashion, a country house, a box at the Italian opera, and a heap of other things. There you are, my dear friend. And the Vatnaz, as if she had profited by this change of fortune, appeared gayer and happier. She took off her gloves and examined the furniture and the objects of vertu in the room. She mentioned their exact prices like a second-hand dealer. 
he ought to have consulted her in order to get them cheaper then she congratulated him on his good taste ah this is pretty exceedingly nice there's nobody like you for these ideas the next moment as her eyes fell on a door close to the pillar of the alcove that's the way you let your friends out eh and in a similar fashion she laid her finger on his chin he trembled at the contact of her long hands at the same time thin and soft round her wrists she wore an edging of lace and on the body of her green dress lace embroidery like a hussar her bonnet of black tulle with borders hanging down concealed her forehead a little her eyes shone underneath an odour of patchouli escaped from her headbands the carcel lamp placed on a round table shining down on her like the footlights of a theatre made her jaw protrude she said to him in an unctuous tone while she drew forth from her purse three square slips of paper you will take these from me they were three tickets for delmar's benefit performance what for him certainly mademoiselle vatnaz without giving a further explanation added that she adored him more than ever if she were to be believed the comedian was now definitely classed amongst the leading celebrities of the age and it was not such or such a personage that he represented but the very genius of france the people he had the humanitarian spirit he understood the priesthood of art frederick in order to put an end to these eulogies gave her the money for the three seats you need not say a word about this over the way how late it is good heavens i must leave you ah i was forgetting the address tis the rue grange batelier number fourteen and at the door good-bye beloved man beloved by whom asked frederick what a strange woman and he remembered that Dusadier had said to him one day when talking about her, Oh, she's not much, as if alluding to stories of a by no means edifying character. Next morning he repaired to the Marechal's abode. She lived in a new house, the spring roller blinds of which projected into the street. At the head of each flight of stairs there was a mirror against the wall before each window there was a flower stand and all over the steps extended a carpet of oilcloth and when one got inside the door the coolness of the staircase was refreshing it was a manservant who came to open the door a footman in a red waistcoat on a bench in the anteroom a woman and two men tradespeople no doubt were waiting as if in a minister's vestibule at the left the door of the dining-room slightly ajar afforded a glimpse of empty bottles on the sideboards and napkins on the backs of chairs and parallel with it ran a corridor in which gold-coloured sticks supported an espalier of roses in the courtyard below two boys with bare arms were scrubbing a landau their voices rose to Frederick's ears, mingled with the intermittent sounds made by a currycomb knocking against a stone. The manservant returned, Madame will receive monsieur, and he led Frederick through a second anteroom and then into a large drawing-room hung with yellow brocatelle with twisted fringes at the corners, which were joined at the ceiling, and which seemed to be continued by flowerings of lustre resembling cables 
No doubt there had been an entertainment there the night before. Some cigar ashes had been allowed to remain on the pier tables. At last he found his way into a kind of boudoir with stained glass windows through which the sun shed a dim light. Trefoils of carved wood adorned the upper portions of the doors. Behind a balustrade three purple mattresses formed a divan, and the stem of a narguilet made of platinum lay on top of it. Instead of a mirror there was on the mantelpiece a pyramid-shaped whatnot, displaying on its shelves an entire collection of curiosities, old silver trumpets, bohemian horns, jeweled clasps, jade studs, enamels, grotesque figures in china, and a little Byzantine virgin with a vermilion ape. And all this was mingled in a golden twilight, with the bluish shade of the carpet, the mother-of-pearl reflections of the footstools, and the tawny hue of the walls covered with maroon leather. In the corners, on little pedestals, there were bronze vases containing clusters of flowers which made the atmosphere heavy. Rosanette presented herself, attired in a pink satin vest, with white cashmere trousers, a necklace of piastres, and a red cap encircled with a branch of jasmine. Frederick started back in surprise, then said he had brought the thing she had been speaking about, and he handed her the banknote. She gazed at him in astonishment, and, as he still kept the note in his hand, without knowing where to put it, Play, take it. She seized it then, as she flung it on the divan. You are very kind. She wanted it to meet the rent of a piece of ground at Bellevue, which she paid in this way every year. Her unceremoniousness wounded Frederick's sensibility. However, so much the better, this would avenge him for the past. Sit down, said she, there, closer, and in a grave tone. In the first place, I have to thank you, my dear friend, for having risked your life. Oh, that's nothing. What? Why, tis a very noble act, and the marechal exhibited an embarrassing sense of gratitude, for it must have been impressed upon her mind that the duel was entirely on account of Arnaud, as the latter, who believed it himself, was not likely to have resisted the temptation of telling her so. She is laughing at me, perhaps, thought Frederick. He had nothing further to detain him, and, pleading that he had an appointment, he rose. Oh, no, stay. He resumed his seat, and presently complimented her on her costume. She replied with an air of dejection, "'Tis the prince who likes me to dress in this fashion, and one must smoke such machines as that, too,' Rosanette added, pointing towards the Nargalet. "'Suppose we try the taste of it. Have you any objection?' She procured a light, and, finding it hard to set fire to the tobacco, she began to stamp impatiently with her foot. Then a feeling of languor took possession of her, and she remained motionless on the divan, with a cushion under her arm, and her body twisted a little on one side, one knee bent, and the other leg straight out. The long serpent of red morocco, which formed rings on the floor, rolled itself over her arm. She rested the amber mouthpiece on her lips, and gazed at Frederick while she blinked her eyes in the midst of the cloud of smoke that enveloped her. A gurgling sound came from her throat as she inhaled the fumes, and from time to time she murmured, 
De poor darling, de poor pet. He tried to find something of an agreeable nature to talk about. The thought of Vatnaz recurred to his memory. He remarked that she appeared to him very ladylike. Yes, upon my world, replied the marechal. She is very lucky in having me that same lady. Without adding another word, so much reserve was there in their conversation. Each of them felt a sense of constraint, something that formed a barrier to confidential relations between them. In fact, Rosanette's vanity had been flattered by the duel, of which she believed herself to be the occasion. Then she was very much astonished that he did not hasten to take advantage of his achievement. And, in order to compel him to return to her, she had invented this story that she wanted five hundred francs. How was it that Frederick did not ask for a little love from her in return? This was a piece of refinement that filled her with amazement, and, with a gush of emotion, she said to him, "'Will you come with us to the sea baths?' "'What does us mean?' "'Myself and my belt. I'll make you pass for a cousin of mine, as in the old comedies.' "'A thousand thanks.' "'Well, then, you will take lodgings near ours.' The idea of hiding himself from a rich man humiliated him. No, that is impossible. Just as you please. Rosinette turned away with tears in her eyes. Frederick noticed this, and in order to testify the interest which he took in her, he said that he was delighted to see her at last in a comfortable position. She shrugged her shoulders. What then was troubling her? Was it perchance that she was not loved? Oh, as for me, I have always people to love me she added it remains to be seen in what way complaining that she was suffocating with the heat the marechal unfastened her vest and without any other garment round her body save her silk chemise she leaned her head on his shoulder so as to awaken his tenderness a man of less introspective egoism would not have bestowed a thought at such a moment on the possibility of the vicomte monsieur de Comin or any one else appearing on the scene but frederick had been too many times the dupe of these very glances to compromise himself by a fresh humiliation she wished to know all about his relationships and his amusements she even inquired about his financial affairs and offered to lend him money if he wanted it frederick unable to stand it any longer took up his hat i'm off my pet i hope you'll enjoy yourself thoroughly down there au revoir she opened her eyes wide then in a dry tone au revoir he made his way out through the yellow drawing-room and through the second ante-room there was on the table between a vase full of visiting cards and an inkstand a chased silver chest it was madame arnaud's then he experienced a feeling of tenderness and at the same time as it were the scandal of a profanation he felt a longing to raise his hands towards it and to open it he was afraid of being seen and went away frederick was virtuous he did not go back to the arnaud's house he sent his man-servant to buy the two negroes having given him all the necessary directions and the case containing them set forth the same evening for nogent 
next morning as he was repairing to delaurier's lodgings at the turn where the rue vivienne opened out on the boulevard madame arnault presented herself before him face to face the first movement of each of them was to draw back then the same smile came to the lips of both and they advanced to meet each other for a minute neither of them uttered a single word the sunlight fell round her and her oval face her long eyelashes her black lace shawl which showed the outline of her shoulders her gown of shot silk the bouquet of violets at the corner of her bonnet all seemed to him to possess extraordinary magnificence an infinite softness poured itself out of her beautiful eyes and in a faltering voice uttering at random the first words that came to his lips how is arnaud well i thank you and your children they are very well ah ah what fine weather we are getting are we not splendid indeed you're going out shopping and with a slow inclination of the head good-bye she put out her hand without having spoken one word of an affectionate description and did not even invite him to dinner at her house no matter he would not have given this interview for the most delightful of adventures and he pondered over its sweetness as he proceeded on his way de laurier surprised at seeing him dissembled his spite for he cherished still through obstinacy some hope with regard to madame arnault and he had written to frederick to prolong his stay in the country in order to be free in his manoeuvres he informed frederick however that he had presented himself at her house in order to ascertain if their contract stipulated for a community of property between husband and wife in that case proceedings might be taken against the wife and she put on a queer face when i told her about your marriage now then what an invention it was necessary in order to show that you wanted your own capital a person who was indifferent would not have been attacked with the species of fainting fit that she had really exclaimed frederick ah oh, my fine fellow you are betraying yourself come be honest a feeling of nervous weakness stole over madame arnaud's lover why no i assure you upon my word of honour these feeble denials ended by convincing de he congratulated his friend and asked him for some details frederick gave him none and even resisted a secret yearning to concoct a few as for the mortgage he told the other to do nothing about it but to wait de laurier thought he was wrong on this point and remonstrated with him in rather a churlish fashion he was besides more gloomy malignant and irascible than ever in a year if fortune did not change he would embark for america or blow out his brains indeed he appeared to be in such a rage against everything and so uncompromising in his radicalism that frederick could not keep from saying to him here you are going on in the same way as senecal delaurier at this remark informed him that that individual to whom he alluded had been discharged from sainte pelagie the magisterial investigation having failed to supply sufficient evidence no doubt to justify his being sent for trial 
Dusardier was so much overjoyed at the release of Senecal that he wanted to invite his friends to come and take punch with him, and begged of Frederick to be one of the party, giving the latter at the same time to understand that he would be found in the company of Husonet, who had proved himself a very good friend to Senecal. In fact, the Flambard had just become associated with a business establishment whose prospectus contained the following references vineyard agency office of publicity debt recovery and intelligence office etc but the bohemian was afraid that his connection with trade might be prejudicial to his literary reputation and he had accordingly taken the mathematician to keep the accounts although the situation was a poor one senegal would but for it have died of starvation not wishing to mortify the worthy shopman frederick accepted his invitation dusardier three days beforehand had himself waxed the red floor of his garret beaten the armchair and knocked off the dust from the chimney-piece on which might be seen under a globe an alabaster timepiece between a stalactite and a coconut as his two chandeliers and his chamber candlestick were not sufficient he had borrowed two more candlesticks from the doorkeeper and these five lights shone at the top of the chest of drawers which was covered with three napkins in order that it might be fit to have placed on it in such a way as to look attractive some macaroons biscuits a fancy cake and a dozen bottles of beer at the opposite side close to the wall which was hung with yellow paper there was a little mahogany bookcase containing the fables of la cambodie the mysteries of paris and novins napoleon and in the middle of the alcove the face of beranger was smiling in a rosewood frame the guests in addition to delaurier and senecal were an apothecary who had just been admitted but who had not enough capital to start in business for himself a young man of his own house a town traveller in wines an architect and a gentleman employed in an insurance office regimbaud had not been able to come regret was expressed at his absence they welcomed frederick with a great display of sympathy as they all knew through dusardier what he had said at m dambruz's house senecal contented himself with putting out his hand in a dignified manner he remained standing near the chimney-piece the others seated with their pipes in their mouths listened to him while he held forth on universal suffrage from which he predicted as a result the triumph of democracy and the practical application of the principles of the gospel however the hour was at hand the banquets of the party of reform were becoming more numerous in the provinces piedmont naples tuscany tis true said delaurier interrupting him abruptly this cannot last longer and he began to draw a picture of the situation we had sacrificed holland to obtain from england the recognition of louis philippe and this precious english alliance was lost owing to the spanish marriages in switzerland m guizot in tow with the austrian maintained the treaties of eighteen fifteen prussia with her zollverein was preparing embarrassments for us the eastern question was still pending 
the fact that a grand duke constantine sends presents to monsieur d'aumal is no reason for placing confidence in russia as for home affairs never have so many blunders such stupidity been witnessed the government no longer even keeps up its majority everywhere indeed according to the well-known expression it is not 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 and in the teeth of such public scandals continued the advocate with his arms akimbo they declare themselves satisfied the allusion to a notorious vote called forth applause dusadier uncorked a bottle of beer the froth splashed on the curtains he did not mind it he filled the pipes cut the cake offered each of them a slice of it and several times went downstairs to see whether the punch was coming up and ere long they lashed themselves up into a state of excitement as they all felt equally exasperated against power their rage was of a violent character for no other reason save that they hated injustice and they mixed up with legitimate grievances the most idiotic complaints the apothecary groaned over the pitiable condition of our fleet the insurance agent could not tolerate marshal sous two sentinels de laurier denounced the jesuits who had just installed themselves publicly at lille senecal execrated m cousin much more for eclecticism by teaching that certitude can be deduced from reason developed selfishness and destroyed solidarity the traveller in wines knowing very little about these matters remarked in a very loud tone that he had forgotten many infamies the royal carriage on the northern line must have cost eighty thousand francs who will pay the amount ay who will pay the amount repeated the clerk as angrily as if this amount had been drawn out of his own pocket then followed reclamations against the lynxes of the bourse and the corruption of officials according to senegal they ought to go higher up and lay the blame first of all on the princes who had revived the morals of the regency period have you not lately seen the duc de montpensier's friends coming back from vincennes no doubt in a state of intoxication and disturbing with their songs the workmen of the faubourg saint antoine there was even a cry of down with the thieves said the apothecary i was there and i joined in the cry so much the better the people are at last waking up since the test cubier case for my part that case caused me some pain said dusadier because it imputed dishonour to an old soldier do you know senecal went on what they have discovered at the duchesse de pralin's house but here the door was sent flying open with a kick usanet entered hail messieurs said he as he seated himself on the bed no allusion was made to his article which he was sorry however for having written as the marechal had sharply reprimanded him on account of it he had just seen at the Théâtre du dumas the chevalier de maison rouge and declared that it seemed to him a stupid play such a criticism surprised the democrats as this drama by its tendency or rather by its scenery flattered their passions they protested senegal in order to bring this discussion to a close asked whether the play served the cause of democracy yes perhaps but it is written in a style 
well then tis a good play what is style tis the idea and without allowing frederick to say a word now i was pointing out that in the prelling case Husanet interrupted him ah here's another worn-out trick i'm disgusted at it and others as well as you returned delaurier it has only got five papers taken listen while i read this paragraph and drawing his notebook out of his pocket he read we have since the establishment of the best of republics been subjected to twelve hundred and twenty-nine press prosecutions from which the results to the writers have been imprisonment extending over a period of three thousand one hundred and forty-one years and the light sum of seven million one hundred and ten thousand five hundred francs by way of fine that's charming eh they all sneered bitterly frederick incensed against the others broke in the democratie pacifique has had proceedings taken against it on account of its fouetant a novel entitled the woman's share come that's good said Usanet. suppose they prevented us from having our share of the women but what is it that's not prohibited exclaimed delroyer to smoke in the Luxembourg is prohibited. To sing the hymn to Pius Ninth is prohibited. And the typographer's banquet has been interdicted, a voice cried with a thick articulation. It was that of an architect who had sat concealed in the shade of the alcove and who had remained silent up to that moment. He added that the week before, a man named Rouget had been convicted of offering insults to the king that garnet is fried said Husanet. this joke appeared so improper to senecal that he reproached Husanet for defending the juggler of the hotel de vie the friend of the traitor dumouriez i quite the contrary he considered louis-philippe commonplace one of the national guard types of men all that savoured most of the provision shop and the cotton nightcap and laying his hand on his heart the bohemian gave utterance to the rhetorical phrases it is always with a new pleasure polish nationality will not perish our great works will be pursued give me some money for my little family they all laughed hugely, declaring that he was a delightful fellow, full of wit. Their delight was redoubled at the sight of the bowl of punch, which was brought in by the keeper of a café. The flames of the alcohol and those of the wax candles soon heated the apartment, and the light from the garret, passing across the courtyard, illuminated the side of an opposite roof with the flue of a chimney, whose black outlines could be traced through the darkness of night they talked in very loud tones all at the same time they had taken off their coats they gave blows to the furniture they touched glasses Husonet exclaimed send up some great ladies in order that this may be more tour de nez have more local colouring and be more rembrandtesque gadzooks and the apothecary who kept stirring about the punch indefinitely began to sing with expanded chest i've two big oxen in my stable two big white oxen 
Seneca laid his hand on the apothecary's mouth. He did not like disorderly conduct, and the lodgers pressed their faces against the window-panes, surprised at the unwanted uproar that was taking place in Dusadier's room. The honest fellow was happy, and said that this recalled to his mind their little parties on the Quai Napoleon in days gone by. However, they missed many who used to be present at these reunions, Pellerin, for instance. "'We can do without him,' observed Frederick, and Delaurier inquired about Martignon. "'What has become of that interesting gentleman?' Frederick, immediately giving vent to the ill-will which he bore to Martignon, attacked his mental capacity, his character, his false elegance, his entire personality. He was a perfect specimen of an upstart peasant. The new aristocracy, the mercantile class, was not as good as the old, the nobility. He maintained this, and the Democrats expressed their approval, as if he were a member of the one class and they were in the habit of visiting the other. They were charmed with him. The apothecary compared him to Monsieur d'Altanchet, who, though a peer of France, defended the cause of the people. The time had come for taking their departure. They all separated with great handshakings. Dusardier, in a spirit of affectionate solicitude, saw Frederick and Delaurier home. As soon as they were in the street, the advocate assumed a thoughtful air, and, after a moment's silence, "'You have a great grudge, then, against Pellerin?' Frederick did not hide his rancor. The painter, in the meantime, had withdrawn the notorious picture from the show-window. A person should not let himself be put out by trifles. What was the good of making an enemy for himself? He has given way to a burst of ill-temper, excusable in a man who hasn't a sou. You, of course, can't understand that. And when Delaurier had gone up to his own apartments, the shopman did not part with Frederick, he even urged his friend to buy the portrait. In fact, Pellerin, abandoning the hope of being able to intimidate him, had got round them so that they might use their influence to obtain the thing for him. Delaurier spoke about it again and pressed him on the point, urging that the artist's claims were reasonable. I am sure that for a sum of perhaps five hundred francs? Oh, give it to him. Wait, here it is, said Frederick. The picture was brought the same evening. It appeared to him a still more atrocious daub than when he had seen it first. The half-tints and the shades were darkened under the excessive retouchings, and they seemed obscured when brought into relation with the lights, which, having remained very brilliant here and there, destroyed the harmony of the entire picture. Frederick revenged himself for having had to pay for it by bitterly disparaging it. Delaurier believed in Frederick's statement on the point, and expressed approval of his conduct, for he had always been ambitious of constituting a phalanx of which he would be the leader. Certain men take delight in making their friends do things which are disagreeable to them. Meanwhile, Frederick did not renew his visit to the Dembrus. He lacked the capital for the investment. He would have to enter into endless explanations on the subject. He hesitated about making up his mind. Perhaps he was in the right. Nothing was certain now. The coal-mining speculation any more than other things. He would have to give up society of that sort. 
the end of the matter was that delaurier was dissuaded from having anything further to do with the undertaking from sheer force of hatred he had grown virtuous and again he preferred frederick in a position of mediocrity in this way he remained his friend's equal and in more intimate relationship with him mademoiselle rook's commission had been very badly executed her father wrote to him supplying him with the most precise directions and concluded his letter with this piece of foolery at the risk of giving you nigger on the brain frederick could not do otherwise than call upon the arnauds once more he went to the warehouse where he could see nobody the firm being in a tottering condition the clerks imitated the carelessness of their master he brushed against the shelves laden with earthenware which filled up the entire space in the centre of the establishment then when he reached the lower end facing the counter he walked with a more noisy tread in order to make himself heard the portiers parted and madame ornault appeared what you here you yes she faltered with some agitation i was looking for he saw her handkerchief near the desk and guessed that she had come down to her husband's warehouse to have an account given to her as to the business to clear up some matter that caused her anxiety but perhaps there is something you want said she a mere nothing madame these shop assistants are intolerable they are always out of the way they ought not to be blamed on the contrary he congratulated himself on the circumstance she gazed at him in an ironical fashion well and this marriage what marriage your own mine i'll never marry as long as i live she made a gesture as if to contradict his words though indeed such things must be after all we take refuge in the commonplace despairing of ever realizing the beautiful existence of which we have dreamed all your dreams however are not so candid what do you mean when you drive to races with women he cursed the marachal then something recurred to his memory but it was you begged of me yourself to see her at one time in the interest of arnaud she replied with a shake of her head and you take advantage of it to amuse yourself good god let us forget all these foolish things tis right since you are going to be married and she stifled a sigh while she bit her lips then he exclaimed but i tell you again i am not can you believe that i with my intellectual requirements my habits am going to bury myself in the provinces in order to play cards look after masons and walk about in wooden shoes what object play could i have for taking such a step you've been told that she was rich haven't you ah what do i care about money could i after yearning long for that which is most lovely tender enchanting a sort of paradise under a human form and having found this sweet ideal at last when this vision hides every other from my view and taking her head between his two hands he began to kiss her on the eyelids repeating no 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 never will i marry never never she submitted to these caresses her mingled amazement and delight having bereft her of the power of motion 
the door of the storeroom above the staircase fell back and she remained with outstretched arms as if to bid him keep silence steps drew near then someone said from behind the door is madame there come in madame arnaud had her elbow on the counter and was twisting about a pen between her fingers quietly when the bookkeeper threw aside the portiere frederick started up as if on the point of leaving madame i have the honour to salute you the set will be ready will it not i may count on this she made no reply but by thus silently becoming his accomplice in the deception she made his face flush with the crimson glow of adultery on the following day he paid her another visit she received him and in order to follow up the advantage he had gained frederick immediately without any preamble attempted to offer some justification for the accidental meeting in the champ de mars it was the merest chance that led to his being in that woman's company while admitting that she was pretty which really was not the case how could she for even a moment absorb his thoughts seeing that he loved another woman you know it well i told you it was so madame arnaud hung down her head i am sorry you said such a thing why the most ordinary proprieties now demand that i should see you no more he protested that his love was of an innocent character the past ought to be a guarantee as to his future conduct he had of his own accord made it a point of honour with himself not to disturb her existence not to deafen her with his complaints but yesterday my heart overflowed we ought not to let our thoughts dwell on that moment my friend and yet where would be the harm in two wretched beings mingling their griefs for indeed you are not happy any more than i am oh i know you you have no one who responds to your craving for affection for devotion i will do anything you wish i will not offend you i swear to you that i will not and he let himself fall on his knees in spite of himself giving way beneath the weight of the feelings that oppressed his heart rise she said i desire you to do so and she declared in an imperious tone that if he did not comply with her wish she would never see him again ha i defy you to do it returned frederick what is there for me to do in the world other men strive for riches celebrity power but i have no profession you are my exclusive occupation my whole wealth the object the centre of my existence and of my thoughts i can no more live without you than without the air of heaven do you not fear the aspiration of my soul ascending towards yours and that they must intermingle and that i am dying on your account madame arnaud began to tremble in every limb oh leave me i beg of you the look of utter confusion in her face made him pause then he advanced a step but she drew back with her two hands clasped leave me in the name of heaven for mercy's sake and frederick loved her so much that he went away soon afterwards he was filled with rage against himself declared in his own mind that he was an idiot and after the lapse of twenty-four hours returned madame was not there he remained at the head of the stairs stupefied with anger and indignation arnaud appeared and informed frederick that his wife had that very morning gone out to take up her residence at a little country house of which he had become tenant at hauteville as he had given up possession of the house at saint claude 
this is another of her whims no matter as she is settled at last and myself too for that matter so much the better let us dine together this evening will you frederick pleaded as an excuse some urgent business then he hurried away of his own accord to atwill madame arnault allowed an exclamation of joy to escape her lips then all his bitterness vanished he did not say one word about his love in order to inspire her with confidence in him he even exaggerated his reserve and on his asking whether he might call again she replied why of course putting out her hand which she withdrew the next moment from that time forth frederick increased his visits he promised extra fares to the cabman who drove him but often he grew impatient at the slow pace of the horse and alighting on the ground he would make a dash after an omnibus and climb to the top of it out of breath then with what disdain he surveyed the faces of those around him who were not going to see her he could distinguish her house at a distance with an enormous honeysuckle covering on one side the planks of the roof it was a kind of swiss chalet painted red with a balcony outside in the garden there were three old chestnut trees and on a rising ground in the centre might be seen a parasol made of thatch held up by the trunk of a tree under the slate-work lining the walls a big vine-tree badly fastened hung from one place to another after the fashion of a rotten cable the gate-bell which it was rather hard to pull was slow in ringing and a long time always elapsed before it was answered on each occasion he experienced a pang of suspense a fear born of irresolution then his ears would be greeted with the pattering of the servant-maid's slippers over the gravel or else madame arnault herself would make her appearance one day he came up behind her just as she was stooping down in the act of gathering violets her daughter's capricious disposition had made it necessary to send the girl to a convent her little son was at school every afternoon arnault was now in the habit of taking prolonged luncheons at the palais royal with regimbart and their friend compain they gave themselves no bother about anything that occurred no matter how disagreeable it might be it was clearly understood between frederick and her that they should not belong to each other by this convention they were preserved from danger and they found it easier to pour out their hearts to each other she told him all about her early life at chartres which she spent with her mother her devotion when she had reached her twelfth year then her passion for music when she used to sing till nightfall in her little room from which the ramparts could be seen he related to her how melancholy broodings had haunted him at college and how a woman's face shone brightly in the cloudland of his imagination so that when he first laid eyes upon her he felt that her features were quite familiar to him these conversations as a rule covered only the years during which they had been acquainted with each other he recalled to her recollection insignificant details the color of her dress at a certain period a woman whom they had met on a certain day what she had said on another occasion and she replied quite astonished yes i remember their tastes their judgments were the same often one of them when listening to the other exclaimed that's the way with me and the other replied and with me too then there were endless complaints about providence why was it not the will of heaven if we had only met ah if i had been younger she sighed no but if i had been a little older 
and they pictured to themselves a life entirely given up to love sufficiently rich to fill up the vastest solitudes surpassing all other joys defying all forms of wretchedness in which the hours would glide away in a continual outpouring of their own emotions and which would be as bright and glorious as the palpitating splendour of the stars they were nearly always standing at the top of the stairs exposed to the free air of heaven the tops of trees yellowed by the autumn raised their crests in front of them at unequal heights up to the edge of the pale sky or else they walked on to the end of the avenue into a summer-house whose only furniture was a couch of grey canvas black specks stained the glass the walls exhaled a mouldy smell and they remembered there chatting freely about all sorts of topics anything that happened to arise in a spirit of hilarity sometimes the rays of the sun passing through the venetian blind extended from the ceiling down to the flagstones like the strings of a lyre particles of dust whirled amid these luminous bars she amused herself by dividing them with her hand frederick gently caught hold of her and he gazed on the twinings of her veins the grain of her skin and the form of her fingers each of those fingers of hers was for him more than a thing almost a person she gave him her gloves and the week after her handkerchief she called him frederick he called her marie adoring this name which as he said was expressly made to be uttered with a sigh of ecstasy and which seemed to contain clouds of incense and scattered heaps of roses they soon came to an understanding as to the days on which he would call to see her and leaving the house as if by mere chance she walked along the road to meet him she made no effort whatever to excite his love lost in that listlessness which is characteristic of intense happiness during the whole season she wore a brown silk dressing-gown with velvet borders of the same colour a large garment which united the indolence of her attitudes and her grave physiognomy besides she had just reached the autumnal period of womanhood in which reflection is combined with tenderness in which the beginning of maturity colours the face with a more intense flame when strength of feeling mingles with experience of life and when having completely expanded the entire being overflows with a richness and harmony with its beauty never had she possessed more sweetness more leniency secure in the thought that she would not err she abandoned herself to a sentiment which seemed to her won by her sorrows and moreover it was so innocent and fresh what an abyss lay between the coarseness of arnault and the adoration of frederick he trembled at the thought that by an imprudent word he might lose all that he had gained saying to himself that an opportunity might be found again but that a foolish step could never be repaired he wished that she should give herself rather than that he should take her the assurance of being loved by her delighted him like a foretaste of possession and then the charm of her person troubled his heart more than his senses it was an indefinable feeling of bliss a sort of intoxication that made him lose sight of the possibility of having his happiness completed apart from her he was consumed with longing ere long the conversations were interrupted by long spells of silence sometimes a species of sexual shame made them blush in each other's presence all the precautions they took to hide their love only unveiled it the stronger it grew the more constrained they became in manner 
The effect of this dissimulation was to intensify their sensibility. They experienced a sensation of delight at the odor of moist leaves. They could not endure the east wind. They got irritated without any apparent cause, and had melancholy forebodings. The sound of a footstep, the creaking of the wainscoting, filled them with as much terror as if they had been guilty. They felt as if they were being pushed towards the edge of a chasm. They were surrounded by a tempestuous atmosphere, and when complaints escaped Frederick's lips, she made accusations against herself. "'Yes, I am doing wrong. I am acting as if I were a coquette. Don't come any more.' Then he would repeat the same oaths, to which on each occasion she listened with renewed pleasure. His return to Paris and the fuss occasioned by New Year's Day interrupted their meetings to some extent. When he returned, he had an air of greater self-confidence. Every moment she went out to give orders, and in spite of his entreaties, she received every visitor that called during the evening. After this, they engaged in conversations about Léotard, Monsieur Guizot, the Pope, the insurrection at Palermo, and the banquet of the twelfth arrondissement, which had caused some disquietude. Frederick eased his mind by railing against power, for he longed, like Delaurier, to turn the whole world upside down, so soured had he now become. Madame Arnaud, on her side, had become sad. Her husband, indulging in displays of wild folly, was flirting with one of the girls in his pottery works, the one who was known as the girl from Bordeaux. Madame Arnaud was herself informed about it by Frederick, he wanted to make use of it as an argument, inasmuch as she was the victim of deception. Oh, I'm not much concerned about it, she said. This admission on her part seemed to him to strengthen the intimacy between them. Would Arnaud be seized with mistrust with regard to them? No, not now. She told him that one evening he had left them talking together, and had afterwards come back again and listened behind the door, and, as they both were chatting at the time of matters that were of no consequence, he had lived since then in a state of complete security. "'With good reason, too, is that not so?' said Frederick bitterly. "'Yes, no doubt. It would have been better for him not to have given so risky an answer.' One day she was not at home at the hour when he usually called. To him there seemed to be a sort of treason in this. He was next displeased at seeing the flowers which he used to bring her always placed in a glass of water. Where then would you like me to put them? Oh, not there. However, they are not so cold there as they would be near your heart. Not long afterwards he reproached her for having been at the Italian opera the night before, without having given him a previous intimation of her intention to go there. Others had seen, admired, fallen in love with her, perhaps. Frederick was fastening on those suspicions of his merely in order to pick a quarrel with her, to torment her, for he was beginning to hate her, and the very least he might expect was that she should share in his sufferings. One afternoon, towards the middle of February, he surprised her in a state of great mental excitement. Eugène had been complaining about his sore throat. The doctor had told her, however, that it was a trifling ailment, a bad cold, an attack of influenza. Frederick was astonished at the child's stupefied look. Nevertheless, he reassured the mother and brought forward the cases of several children of the same age, who had been attacked with similar ailments and had been speedily cured. 
End of chapter 13 Part 1